red flags, but okay podcast beginning in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hello. Hello there. Wait, harmonize. Hello. Uh, hello. Uh, I feel uh, we're both not enough uh-huh. singers to do that. <laughs> I was like, you said harmonize, and I think we both went high, which we is both... the opposite of harmonizing. Nope. So, once you know, again, welcome a... to the musical episode of Weird Flex, but okay. <laughs> as Michelle Obama once said, when Kate says harmonize, Kate and Jen do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> we both go high. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I'm Kate. And I'm Jen. And this is Weird Flex But Okay. And I am saying it at the top of the pod. That's, yes. our, I'm not waiting until three minutes in to tell you what our podcast is. I'm on <laughs> it today. This is the podcast where we sit and tell you things, not mm-hmm. sing. Yes. Even though not we seem to continue starting like every episode singing. <laughs> you inspire me. <laughs> what are we talking about today, Jen? Today, we're getting in the Thanksgiving spirit with Pilgrims and Puritans. It's <laughs> <laughs> like the least Pilgrim Puritan thing ever is Jamaican Air Horse. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. Um, who starts it off this time? I started off and I am a Pilgrim. Oh, you are. Let's do this, man. Let's do this. Well, we're going to start with our favorite time, etymology. Hell yes. There we go with the singing again. (laughs) The word pilgrim means a person traveling to a holy place. And it could be for a variety of reasons. Uh, And while pilgrims of America that we know from our history books didn't deem themselves pilgrims until several years after settling, they are known for escaping religious persecution. Pilgrim can also mean traveler or wayfarer, and I think that's what we're most likely to associate pilgrims from history with is as a traveler, not necessarily as a person traveling to a holy place. Um, But where does the word pilgrim exactly come from? Well, comes from some old French word for pelerin or peregrine. Um, Mm -hmm. The Latin word pellegrinus, the Italian pellegrino, (laughs) the Spanish peregrino, and the German pilger. (laughs) Tag yourself, I'm German. (laughs) Pilger. (laughs) Per, per, means beyond an agri, which is a locative case of ager. I have no idea what any of that means. I'm not following very hard at all. That's country or land. So essentially beyond country or beyond land. That makes absolutely total sense. (laughs) The change from an R to an L is due to dissimilation as seen in most Romance languages. And the addition of the M is a German modification. So that's kind of how we started with like this peregrine French word and similar versions and everything else. And then got to Pilgrim. I love it. Fascinating. I, uh, if you had to take a pilgrimage to one place, where would you go? 
Mm, Norway. Ooh, Norway. That does sound like God, yo. <laughs> Check out them Norse gods. I have no idea where I would go. Uh, probably somewhere cold. I feel like cold's magical. Like snow. Snow feels yep. magical to me. I mean, Norway. Norway Northern lights. Snow. Very snowy northern lights. Norway is on the Jen and Kate road trip. It is. So We're going to drive through the ocean. <laughs> there, but. We're going to make it somehow. It's going to be a giant highway that just. Or a ferry, which exists. <laughs> They're going to Operation Dumbo drop us out of a plane right into Norway because you can't get there any other way. Um, that's great. I actually did not know the origins of it. I knew, obviously, the meaning of the mm -hmm. word, but I didn't really know that that's where the origins were. That's cool. And now, every time I see a peregrine falcon, I'm just going to call it a pilgrim. That's what I, that was my first thought was the bird when I <laughs> was reading that. I'm like, oh, falcons? Oh. Beyond country or land? Are you beyond your country, young falcon? <laughs> okay, that was, that was great. I appreciate that. I'm the Puritans, Goody Robinson. <laughs> I'm Goody. Okay, well we're gonna get Isn't into. We're gonna get into it. Um, okay, so first things first, I'm going to point this out because I did not understand this fully until I was an adult, and I think it's very relevant. So pilgrims were separatists leaving England because they just wanted to do their thing. Puritans were non-separatists leaving England to colonize. That's the big difference between them. I think that they're kind of lumped together a lot of the time where people think they're kind yes. of the same thing or they think that the pilgrims were Puritans. Mm -hmm. It's not the case at all. Very similar, but not the same. Um, okay. So right off that, the bat. I'm clarify that. We yes. probably should have started with that, but. Perhaps, you know. <laughs> but now, you know, <laughs> for the real info, you really got to get into the pod. <laughs> <laughs> you can't listen to the beginning for relevant information. Okay. Um, so we're going to start off with some Puritan names. Oh, good. All right. So, Purit <laughs> yes. Puritans sometimes chose their names based on morals that they hoped their children would uphold later in life. Um, yes. Yes. Some <laughs> of these names were kind of absolute nonsense. Here are some examples abstinence. Hate bad, good fruit, and of course, my personal favorite, humiliation. Oh, I know they probably meant it like, I'm guessing like, you're humble? I mean, I, I mean, you do, as I've always said, you do whatever feels right, okay? So who wouldn't want to be humiliation? I need to look at how many people named abstinence actually got married and had sex. Cause that's like one of the questions on the census is like, is your name abstinence? Did you bone? Have you been following the law of your name? Are you abstinent? Okay. So some of the names were entire sentences. This is going to get you going. So <sighs> some of the names were whole sentences, usually like whole Bible verses. Um, Jesus came into the world to save was one of them. And <laughs> that's a name. Job raked out of ashes was also a name. What does that mean? <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> don't know. Just like this job sucks, maybe. <laughs> Wait, no, no. Wasn't isn't that a character in the Bible? A character, a person in the Bible? Job. 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 Maybe I misread this. All right, let me cut out my whole segment. <laughs> it might be. I it might be Job because I don't think that they really use the word job back yeah. then. So it probably is Job. Some, this is who knows. <laughs> yeah or just arrested development if you really love arrested development um i mean it might be joe raked out of ashes i'm gonna think of it as job raked out of ashes and they just really hate their job i hate i, I hate that no i like that i'm gonna say i like that. i don't it, this whole thing you just you can't handle yourself anymore so why exactly I, did they give I, yes i'm raked out of ashes over it why exactly did they give their children these unusual and sometimes very hard to say names well kind of for the same reason that we do now they liked them and they felt like it meant something and guess what people back then did not like it just like people now don't like unusual names and have something to say about them Um, a minister at the time even remarked it is petulant absurdity to give children ridiculous names he wrote the very rehearsing whereof causeth laughter. <laughs> Petulance would be a good name. <laughs> Honestly, I think I gave us names at the end of this segment. I think I'm going to change my Petulance. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, time. I mean, really, times be changing, but they do be staying the same, huh? <laughs> like people name their kids weird stuff, and people have opinions about it. I I gave my some a couple of my kids some unusual names and people have things to say about it. Um, not anything about raking ashes, but close enough. Um, if you are wondering though, and I know that you are, I did yeah. give us Puritan names. Um, your yeah. name I actually used a name generator too, so I didn't make these up. These are real Puritan names. Um, your name would be Faint Not, <laughs> and and mine would be Damned. <laughs> <laughs> which are real puritan names that people had so or i could i might be i might go by petulant but you are you're faint not from now on faint not burrows is your name is it not like tying a knot or mm-hmm. like not like, like don't faint okay yeah and i'm damned don't feel good they go fetch faint not so she does not faint you just and you just lay under her like a fainting couch yeah. <laughs> just like oh i'll lay here but here. Yeah, those are those are our Puritan names, and that is kind of a few a few names, but also why they named their children what some people consider to be silly names. I think whatever you want to name your kids, as long as you are understanding that people are going to feel a certain way about it, it's fine. Your kids are going to be okay. Yeah, unless you named them damned <laughs> or petulance or humiliation. Humiliation <laughs> still gets me. I don't know. What- humiliation like sets me I, I, I feel some type of way about it I'm sure hundreds of years from now people will be making fun of the names that some of these Riley Kaylee Ashley spelt 50,000 different ways <laughs> people people will feel very strongly about it people make fun of it now so why not but yeah they'll be like oh my god Zorb could you believe that people were named <laughs> Jennifer You're okay. up, girl. I'm gonna tell you. I'm during this whole episode. I will be discussing a couple different pilgrims. Okay. And so I'm gonna start with the first guy. All His right. name is Stephen Hopkins. 
And he was one of the Mayflower passengers. So we all know the Mayflower is the infamous pilgrim boat. Of course. Um, and so he actually what, had already been to the New World. When he was on the Mayflower, he was not pilgrimaging there for the very first time. He'd already been there. His first trip over was in 1609 when he signed on as a three-year indentured servant and was on the Sea Venture. A hurricane separated the Sea Venture from the other ships in their group. And after three days of stormy weather, the ship began leaking with water reaching nine feet in the hold. Fortunately, or not so fortunately, they spotted land and that land was Bermuda. <laughs> All of the passengers made it to land safely and for nine months on freshwater, pigs, turtles, and birds. They basically were like, this is paradise. This is an island vacation. Mm, I love uh, turtles. They, they salvaged parts from the Sea Venture and built two new smaller ships during that time. Hopkins, along with the other survivors, set off for Jamestown and arrived 11 days later, which just seems so short to sail from Bermuda to Jamestown in 11 days. But I guess like picturing it on a map, it yeah. is actually pretty close. Like yeah, there's not really a lot impeding them in that, yeah, that venture. It's just up the coast. Yeah, exactly. Just, and I think if you don't have to go into like heavy seas and stuff, I'm not really sure exactly. It, I'm not a sailor, but I feel like if you don't have to go into like heavy seas and like make a wide berth of the, of the United States, that it wouldn't be as difficult. Crazy 11 days. Mm -hmm. In 1611, reports and tales of the wreck and castaways reached England. Shakespeare's play The Tempest was released on stage. And it's believed that this play was inspired by Stephen Hopkins' own experience on the island. Oh. Particularly the drunken, power-hungry butler named Stefano, who tries to get rid of the ruler Prospero. Mm -hmm. Apparently, Hopkins questioned the authority of the leader, Sir Thomas Gates, during the building of the boats. So much so that Gates had him arrested for mutiny, and he was found guilty and sentenced to death. Mm. However, between his pleas and those of the other castaways, his life was spared. Obviously, he at some point returned home to England and then jumped back on the Mayflower to head to Plymouth with his wife, but that's not as exciting as the first one. I, if I was in like the, the one of, because I feel like they happen all the time, but one of these like epic, like ship caught somewhere, you know, messes that lasted literally years of my life. I don't feel like I would be really quick to get back on a ship. Yeah. And what was crazy was Hopkins wanted to take the new boats they were building back to England and Gates was like no we're gonna go to Jamestown which I side with Gates I think be a little short 11 day trip mm -hmm. up the coast of the United States to Jamestown was a way better call than yeah. sailing all the way back across the Atlantic on your little homemade island boats yeah right like I mean I guess maps back then they were you know like navigation and stuff wasn't the same you couldn't just look and be like oh it's not that far they probably would be like well what if we don't make it but like yeah, dude, go to Jamestown. You know there's people there. 
jump on like an actual ship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like there's people there and then you can just get on someone else's ship and then you're not responsible for it anymore. Yeah. That sounds like good planning to me. So. Wow. I did not know that story at all. That's cool. Which it was kind of weird to think about Shakespeare being around at the same time as pilgrims. Yeah. Like, I don't, yeah, you kind of separate out like that piece of like English history yeah. with like the history of the United States or the history of America, of the Americas. But I guess, yeah, there was, there was an overlap. Yeah. That's really interesting. I never, like, yeah, you never think about it. So it's kind of weird to see those connected. Mm, fascinating. Also did not know that that's where the tempest came from. Um, okay. So. Let's get into some let's get into some Puritan business. And there's not a there's not a ton of Puritans, so it all comes from kind of the same the same area. Um, but one of the tenets of being a Puritan was chastity and modesty. So it both probably Puritan names too. I can promise you, <laughs> anything that you say That's, was a Puritan. Was probably like chastity and modesty were probably like the Jennifers and Ashleys of like the late nineties, early two thousands. Okay. So it's, it's a bit surprising that they sometimes took part in a bizarre premarital bed sharing ritual called bundling. Have you seen the Patriot? I have not. Okay. So, but for some reason in the Patriot, which wasn't really relevant at all to that time period, um, they take part in a bundling ritual. Um, but. Do you uh, think they referenced this on the TV show Salem? Possibly. I, I have not, I have not seen it. I have not seen it. I'll they let you know. Yeah. Okay. Yes. If you're going to watch it, you tell me. Um, basically a young courting couple would spend the night in the girl's bed in their underclothes sometimes separated by sacks that they were each tied into or with a board between them called a bundling board. They were left alone in the room. The parents would go to bed and they were very much forbidden from any funny business and the underclothes must stay on. <laughs> the clothes stay <laughs> on. Um, the idea was that spending a night together would be a good vision into the future of their compatibility, which in a way I think is actually kind of nice. I think that's maybe that is something that they really lacked back then. And a lot of people lack whenever you go into a relationship, having never really spent time alone in like a not sexually intimate, but just intimate situation with somebody you don't really like, like it, it is important to know, does someone snore super loud? <laughs> Yeah, like, are, is, yeah, yeah. Do they drive you crazy at night? Because if you're going to be married and spend the rest of your life spending nights with them, you should know that. Mm -hmm. It's relevant information. But yeah, that is bundling. Um, one of the many bizarre things that pilgrims did inside their homes. <laughs> yes, they did that in the show. That okay, what it was depicted. Okay, with witches, which nice. they were Puritans, so it was. Apparently Which, correct. I, well, I'm also going to point out Puritans, like actual Puritans, very chill about the whole witch thing. Yes. Puritans themselves did not go hard about the witches. <laughs> they were not behind the witches. <laughs> so which i i didn't know i, I think that kind of goes into the like the lumping together of like every group of yeah. people back then but i have to say the puritans were chill about a lot of things you did not <laughs> expect them to be chill about but yeah that's bundling for you you're up girl i'm gonna do that i'm gonna bring that back 
my future children will have to bundle. Okay, so that first winter that the pilgrims arrived in Plymouth Rock was considered the starving times because <sighs> they were not prepared at all for the cold. They had no food. Um, so pe a lot of them died pretty much like all of them died during this um, the 1620 to like 1621 winter. I hate it. And specifically, we're going to be taking a journey to Coles Hill. Okay. The landmark is still maintained by the Pilgrim Society as a public park and offers wonderful views and lots of interesting pieces of history on the foreign settlers of the area. Mm -hmm. In the 18th and 19th century, excavations of the area were done and revealed several human bones. Which, really, if you're, like, excavating a historical site, that's kind of like a jackpot. <laughs> also, I think... All right, listen. This is me just talking out of my butt right now. But, like, I'm surprised we don't find human bones more places. That's very <laughs> Look how many good. humans there have been. And, like, in the right conditions, bones can last a while. But I'm saying that as the gate next to my house has been closed because they found ancient human remains. And so we have to go through the front gate now. So they do what? find human That's remains. Awesome. Yeah, it's not like ancient, ancient. It's just like uh, somebody's relative and they have to find the relative to, you know, because obviously as a military base, we can't trample through somebody's like tombs and stuff. So they built a gate and apparently somebody's tomb was underneath it. So they have to find the family members. But I was saying, like, I'm surprised we don't find more human remains. And I'm like, wait, I live next to somewhere they just found human remains. So <laughs> cool. But yeah, that's like them finding like bones on that hill. Like, yeah, I mean, that's not surprising. They had the yeah. starving times. Yeah. And it was close to the like town center and where people know Plymouth Rock. And if you go visit Plymouth, that's like, it's pretty close to there. So they knew that they, or they would have hoped that they would find something. Mm -hmm. So Coles Hill was a burial site for those first few years, um, particularly the winter of 1620 and 21. So much so that the pilgrims feared they would look weak to the natives in the area. And so they buried the dead at night in the winter <laughs> and disguised the graves. So it would not be obvious just how many of them were dying. Um, but by 1637, no more bodies were buried there. And I believe they all got moved to Burial Hill, which is more well known in an actual like cemetery that you can tour. Yeah, I mean, the name is very fitting. Also, I feel like the natives knew what was going on. Like they weren't, I mean, they probably weren't basing all their info on how many bodies they carried out in the daylight. <laughs> they were probably yeah. very well aware of the fact that their colony was kind of failing. Yeah, so it is still a national park site and beautiful views of the coast and the area and should be on our list of places to go visit. Okay, we're adding it to the Kate and Jen walking tour, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm going to one of these days when I have some time, like maybe over Christmas break, I'm just going to actually like listen back. And I'm going to map out our world tour. It's going to be great. If anybody wants to join us, uh, you can just go ahead and uh, Venmo or cash out me $1 million. <laughs> and then you can join us. <laughs> That's really cool. That is actually a place I would like to visit, though. I feel like places yeah. like that have a really cool energy. 
Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. And there's a statue there as well for uh, the native chief that helped keep Plymouth going to oh. honor how much him and his tribe did to keep Plymouth standing. And Well, that's nice. Safe. That's uh, surprising that that would be erected considering the feelings many people have towards native cultures. Yeah, um, it's, but it's way better than a Confederate soldier. Oh, you guys. Confederate statues have got to stop. They lost. There's nothing in the world more un-American than the Confederacy. They tried to not be America. (laughs) You lost. Go buy your new Mississippi flag. The Confederacy's over. All right. Anyway, back to my Puritans. (laughs) We're not talking about the war of Northern aggression right now. Okay. Um, so let's for a moment go back to our Puritans and their sexual hangups. <laughs> okay. Because they were really into being the least freaky historical people. Chastity, modesty, abstinence. Yes. Humiliation. <laughs> Come on. Um, so most of us heard of Puritans for the first time or really talked about them for the first time when reading Nathaniel Hawthorne's Bummer, The Scarlet Letter. Did you read The Scarlet Letter in school? I did not have to read The Scarlet Letter in school. I don't remember if it was required. I know that we had to read like The Giver and all that stuff. I don't remember if it was required, but I did read it in high school. But I know that it was, you know. Giver either. What did you guys read? Lord of the Flies, Fahrenheit 451, Brave okay. New World. Okay. Well, I didn't have to read any of those, (laughs) so we we had very different vibes at our school. I don't think we had to read The Scarlet Letter because I feel like the, like, Mississippi, like, powers that be school boards would have been like, no, you can't acknowledge that sex exists or else children will have sex, which would result in us having the highest teen pregnancy rate in America, which they already did, which I personally contributed to. Thank you. But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but they were like that like anything that had like sexual connotations they would never let you like well, they, they wouldn't acknowledge it great new world because did it oh it does i don't like, even know i've never read it oh okay well who really didn't care for that would be would be <laughs> the puritans um so like they were fairly chill about a lot of things but whenever it came to uh, adultery and premarital sex like don't even think about it like, they were not down to clown in any way. Um, abstinence. Abstinence. My name is Abstinence Robinson. So, but the truth about the Scarlet Letter is, it's true. There was actually a law in 1658 Plymouth stating that adultery was to be punished by the participants. That's hard. Punished by the participants <laughs> being publicly whipped and then wearing a red AD on their clothing for adulterer. If they went out without this badge of dishonor, they would be whipped again. Um, There were some sexual offenses that would be punished with like banishment and some others death. Um, They felt very strongly about these things. (laughs) But that is, uh, yeah, the Scarlet Letter. Super real. Also, um, let me state that Nathaniel Hawthorne, um, his family were Puritans and the region that his family came from, there was an existing law with them having to wear the the red letters 
from the region his family was from. Obviously, he came long after that, but it was something that was kind of culturally ingrained in where he came from. And that's where um, he got that that story from was a, a, a true story of a woman who um, was branded an adulterer for having had a relationship outside of her marriage and having bearing a child and having to be whipped and wear the scarlet letter and his huge badge of shame. So, but yeah, that is a, that's the scarlet letter, my dude. That's wild. Mm-hmm. Um, did it say how long they had to wear the badge of shame? Is it, was it just for the rest of their life? I don't know that information. I did try to look for it and I couldn't find anything like really concrete, but I believe it's for the rest of their life, which I mean, realistically only lived to be like 35. So, Yes. <laughs> well, that was interesting because pretty much all I know about the Scarlet Letter I learned from ECA. So, dude, ECA. So, one of my daughters is named Olive, and mm-hmm. I really liked that name. But I just found out I was pregnant with her. I was like nine weeks pregnant, and we went and saw ECA in theaters. Shout out to uh, Havelock, North Carolina, the worst theaters in the world, <laughs> uh, the single theater at the mall. But um, we went and saw Easy A, and then I did. I had not seen like a trailer or anything for it. And um, the character came on screen. Her name was Olive, and I knew instantly. I was like, "I'm having a girl." Instantly, oh, I knew that's the it. Best way have a sign from the universe. I always get. I always have sign because remember, I knew Violet was a girl too. <laughs> I just knew it, but yeah, but yeah, the olive, the olive in uh, in in um, not Scarlet Letter in Easy A. That's one of the funniest movies. It is. And I think it's on Netflix now. I think it is too. Stanley Tucci in that. Hilarious. Hilarious. The part where they're talking about the son being adopted. And he's like, oh my God, who told you? (laughs) If you haven't seen Easy A, that is a very, like, that's a feel good movie. And it's such we finished. I'm I'm actually probably going to watch it this afternoon after I run, but like they, it's a feel good movie. And then even like from the time period it came from, which is like, 10 years ago it's not the problematic levels are actually fairly low yeah which is great because then you can still enjoy it yeah exactly like she does kind of get a comeuppance for like coming after hoe culture but anyway that's that has nothing to do with any of this you're up there you go easy i go watch it after this podcast well it's kind of fitting with the next little tale i'm about to tell you Even back in the early 1600s, the people were not immune to drama, similar Mm -hmm. to what we may see on television shows and movies, both reality and fiction. Um, Samuel Moore and his family were the center of one such tale of drama. Oh, the tea. (laughs) If you look at a list of the... Excuse me, sorry. If you look at a list of the passengers on the Mayflower, you may note that there were four children with the last name Moore on the list, but no parents. Uh-oh. Well, buckle up for the wild reasoning behind that and also oh prepare gosh. to be really angry at old Sammy boy. Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> In 1616, four years before the Mayflower will depart England, Samuel Moore accused his wife Catherine of adultery. His father then helped him come up with a plan to rid himself of both Catherine and his four children. Mm. Father of the year, am I right? Yeah. <laughs> of them. 
Moore accused Jacob Blakeway of being the one Catherine committed these adulterous acts with. Blakeway had been tenants of the Moors for several generations. Apparently, at some point, Catherine said there had been a former betrothal contract with him, making her marriage to Samuel invalid and Jacob her true husband. Hmm. This was all revealed during a court battle where Samuel was trying to keep his children from inheriting the current estate that they lived on. So the Blakeways were tenants on this estate because that's kind of how it like worked back then in England. You owned like this huge estate of land and you could like rent it out to people. And so the Blakeways had been renting out parts of it for a very long time. And so Samuel basically was in court saying children aren't mine cutting them out of the will so they don't get to inherit this estate. Samuel then went to his employer to get his children put on the Mayflower and sent to Virginia's laborers, which was very common for children to be sent to Virginia at this time as laborers. Usually they picked up orphans and homeless children off the street and just shipped them off. Okay. I hate every single thing about that. Moore removed the children from the estate and placed them with some of his father's tenants. Then Moore's cousin took them to London and delivered them to Thomas Weston, who gave them to John Carver and Robert Cushman. So these poor kids are... A few weeks later, the children were placed in the care of others on the Mayflower and sent to New England. Somehow through all of this, Catherine's appeals to the court were tossed aside, and it was found legally acceptable for Samuel Moore to have shipped the children ages 8, 7, 6, and 4 oh, out of the country. I didn't want to know their ages, because I have like, oh, oh my god, I get so sad thinking about little kids without parents with them. Like, even just thinking about my daughter walking home from school by herself makes me sad. Like, that's the level of sad I get about little kids. Only one child, Richard Moore, the six-year-old, survived past 1621. Oh. One of them didn't make it across the, the trip, and the other ones didn't make it through that winter. Okay, well, but Richard Moore was seven. able to survive out of life. But, yeah, the courts, Catherine appealed many times to try and get her kids back and get it ruled. But Samuel was obviously a male at this time mm -hmm. and a rich one and had his father, another rich, prominent male, backing him and they he shipped off the kids oh my god could you imagine the mother knowing that her children were just being sent across the world and she'd never be able to get to them yep. oh it's so gut-wrenching i will i will have a, a very quiet panic attack about that later in my bed while thinking about children alone so sorry. <laughs> it's okay it's something i do often but that is devastating. Like for the children, for the mother, I would full like dead ass kill him. It was just the drama. I was like reading it and I was like, ooh, this is gonna be good. And then I just got angry. Yes. By the end. Oh. He remarried someone else and I think had kids with her too. And so I, I I stopped reading obviously after I found out like this story and saw then saw that he got remarried and I was mm -hmm. just like you know what, Samuel Moore, you suck. <laughs> Samuel Moore does suck. Like, that's something, like, from that whole time period or, like, the past where women were, like, given far less rights, where 
it makes me so angry because you just think about like the mothers who lost their children and never saw them again and stuff like that. Cause they'll just like casually say in, you know, a history book or an article or something like that, they'll be talking about like, Oh, well this, you know, princess of yada, yada, yada. And she had these two children and then they were just sent to France to be, you know, watched by her, by like her brother's second aunt's cousin. And it's just like, that's a mother who just lost her child. She's really devastated. They just don't even talk about that. That's so sad. That's super, super sad. Those poor babies. I hate yeah. that. Do you want to get extra think, sad? Yeah, I was okay. going to say real quick. I do think that he got his karma mm-hmm. um, with something something that happened in the English Civil War later. He was not, he didn't just quietly disappear into history mm-hmm. like Stephen Hopkins did. He continued to be a part of something called the the something massacre. So okay, well, I, I Samuel hope, Moore crash. I hate you, Samuel Moore, and I hope that you died a really painful and poor life. Mm-hmm. And I know that it didn't happen, but I hate a woman. I hope a woman killed you because I hate you. Um, okay, so <laughs> let's get sad again. Let's get double sad. I, you know, I like to double sad, never single oh. sad, double sad only. Um, so listen. <laughs> Just as you are always trying to think, how can I make this about ghosts? I am always <laughs> trying to make things about murder. <laughs> and oh man, this one's a doozy. Okay, this is going to okay. uh, this is going to affect you. Also about a mother, very upsetting. <laughs> right. Why are we doing this? I don't That's know. I the podcast now. <laughs> I don't okay. Well, this is our last <laughs> podcast because I can't stop being sad. Um, so, all right, this is the story of Hannah Dustin the first American woman to have a statue erected in her honor. The year is 1697 and (laughs) the Dustin family is living happily on their farm outside of a garrison in Massachusetts. I cannot spell Massachusetts. So I wrote mass everywhere. If I say it wrong, um, it's just because I can't spell Massachusetts off the top of my head. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Um, She had eight children ranging from 18 to newborn uh, she, they were living it, man. They were doing the thing, and all those children were alive thus far. So you know, Good get it? Her. Yeah, That's pretty impressive to have eight kids. Yeah, you can say a lot of things about Hannah Dustin, but she, she was a a faithful mother. Which Puritans she they did consider birthing hips. She got them birthing hips. Um, so Puritans <laughs> did consider parenting to be your most important thing. Like that, that was like the one most important thing you do in your life was to parent your children. And I feel the same way. So I. Is, uh, there's a lot of things I don't agree with with Puritans also, like, straight up. But there's a lot of stuff I kind of can get behind here. <laughs> okay, so let's get it. Let's get bumming. She was nursing her newborn baby, uh, like, brand newborn baby, when suddenly the, what I believe is pronounced Abenaki tribe. Um, I think it's Abenaki. It might be Abenaki, but I'm going to, for these purposes, say Abenaki tribe came wheeling up on their little farmstead. Her husband and most of her children were able to escape. Her husband did come into the house and try to get her, but seeing as she had just given birth and her and her midwife were carrying this newborn baby as well, she was not able to run. Um, So she was not able to escape and she was trapped with her baby and her midwife. I don't fault the husband for this because he had seven other children that he had to take to safety. So he hopped on his horse and they ran off to the garrison to be protected behind the walls and the wife and the babies weren't able to make it. Um, 
the warriors killed her baby in a way that I will not mention for my own mental well-being. It was horrible. And then the march to Canada began. After about two weeks of intense travel and threats of horrible violence from her captors, they were there was a lot of violence, but they were threatened with far worse violence when they arrived at their destination. Hannah hatched a plan. She was able to secrete away a few tomahawks that people had kind of like left next to their tables, whatever. She would mm-hmm. take them, put them under her petticoats. And along with her midwife and a young boy who was also being held captive, they killed and scalped 10 Abenaki, including six children. Wow. Yikes. So she uh, returned to her farm where she was reunited with her husband and surviving children They received a bounty of 25 pounds for the scalps that she collected. Um, She went on to have one more child, a girl, which the baby who passed away was a girl. um, And she lived to be 90 years old. Her statue was erected in 1879. And there's a huge amount of controversy, and rightfully so. It's a conversation that really deserves to be had. One of Hannah's children was murdered. But she, in turn, murdered six Abenaki children in revenge. Mm-hmm. And they're calling them savages for what they did. You know, the Native American, the Native Americans local to the area were incentivized to kill Puritans and Englishmen by the French king trying to regain land and really mess up the English. While they were being mm-hmm. called, quote unquote, savages, they were really operating on survival. That was what they had to do. Their land was taken Their ways of getting food was taken from them and they were offered bounties for scalps. So they went out looking for scalps. Um, I'm not saying that what they did was right. They killed a baby. They killed lots of people. It was not right. But it also is not as cut and dry as the stories would really make you assume. But regardless, uh, the uh, Hannah story is definitely a story of survival at all costs. And sometimes that's really ugly. So yeah, that is the story of Hannah, the first woman to ever be immortalized in a statue in the United States. That was very interesting and sad, but it does really show, you know, history is not black and white. Like Mm -hmm. you can't just look at it and be like, the pilgrims were good and they were friends with the Indians. Like that's no, they were not pals. (laughs) So for every, uh, for every native American who was like, they said like oh chief yada yada helped me out there was an entire group of them that were constantly at war with each other and spreading Mm -hmm. diseases and um treating them horribly and shooting them for just walking through their own land yeah Yeah, calling them savage i mean yeah but also like that was the thing they would look at them outside of these fences and they're just on their own land that they lived on for generations hundreds of years walking around trying to find food trying to find water trying to live their lives and you know these settlers are just shooting them and saying like, Oh, they're trying to kill us. Uh, yeah. Well, they will be like, trying to kill you in a few years because you're treating them so bad. <laughs> so, you know, that's how sometimes it got to be yeah. like that. But yeah, that's a, that's mm-hmm. Hannah's story. Well, I'm going to kind of keep it on the same theme. Oh, good. Keep us down, <laughs> but spooky. I knew you were going to paranormal story. Yo, I knew you were going to get spooky. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> Okay, um, it's a little bit of a stretch. It's not exactly in the 1620s when the pilgrims first arrived, okay. but it is in Plymouth. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just got real excited that I ripped my headphones out of my ear. 
<laughs> I love it. Let's do this. The ghost made me do it. It was a ghost. <laughs> I thought it was Lily again. Okay. No, she's sleeping. I did disturb her little bread love sleep. Oh, sweet thing. We're going to talk about the Spooner House Museum. Ooh, Spooner. Spooner. Bundling. We just got a theme going here. We're trying to Everything cuddle. Relates. We're trying to cuddle on this day to day. This museum was home to the Spooner family from 1749 until 1954 when James Spooner died and willed the home to be a museum. The museum contains over 200 years of historical artifacts and a few ghosts. Mm. James is thought to haunt the place, um, and he, which he was, again, 1954, so he's not that, like, cool of a ghost in terms of 200 years of history. But he would play music when no one else would be around to be playing music. You would hear it, and it was thought to be James playing it because he loved music. That's a nice ghost skill. Just to yeah. be, you just just to be like a boombox. <laughs> thank you, thank you. This is actually really nice. Yeah, there weren't any like evil, scary ghosts. It was like James with the music, and then mm-hmm. of course Abigail, a little girl. There's always a little girl. This is actually a little girl, not a demon. Okay. Um, but she died of a tooth infection in the Spooner house. Oh. Uh, because it was back before penicillin, so they just yeah. there was nothing they could do. Um, but she is considered the most active ghost. She'll peer through windows, play in the bushes outside. She stands at the corner of the house. Tours have seen and heard her. Um, there's like one tale where they said like she tapped a couple people and they turned around and saw this girl and she just went, "I have to go now," and then just disappeared. Oh, she's really polite. Thank you. <laughs> uh, construction workers showed up to work on the house and um they knocked and the little girl in like colonial and like that she's probably like works here and so they went in and started working and then the lady who runs the museum came down and was like how do you guys get in and they were like the little girl let us in um but then they freaked out and left which, come on, construction guys. Like, why, little girls uh, don't just let people in places, though. Like, it's an indicator. Yeah. Um, but one of the most interesting facts, and doesn't actually impact any ghost stories from the Spooner house that I could see, was um, the tale of Beth she- Bathsheba Spooner, okay. who going on theme with our Hannah Dustin was the first woman to be executed in the United States after the declaration of independence. So this was in 1778 and she was hanged for arranging to have three soldiers murder her husband, Joshua Spooner. They beat him to death and tossed him in a well. All three soldiers along with Bathsheba were tried and convicted. She tried to delay her ex due to her pregnancy Mm. one of the soldiers was her lover of course um but it didn't work and a post-mortem examination revealed she was five months pregnant oh so i thought that was a little bit of an interesting tidbit first woman executed after the declaration of independence was written um but they bathsheba joshua none of the soldiers i didn't see any um 
stories of them haunting the Spooner house, which was interesting. You'd think they would. That sounds like the, exactly the type of people that would be haunting somewhere, but we don't get to pick and choose, you know? The ghosts do. You know? Mm-hmm. So that's my ghost tale of Plymouth. I was actually a little bit concerned that you weren't going to find a way to fit a ghost in because I was like, there's got to be some pilgrim ghosts. I know there's pilgrim ghosts, but that was it really was good. I've never so heard that story. difficult to find a good one. Maybe they were just so repressed that they didn't become ghosts or they're just like quiet ghosts. They just don't do anything. They're watching, but they're not going to do anything. They're just like, oh, no, I don't want to bother them. All right. They just stand in the corner and judge. Of course. Some kind of ghost I want to be. Yeah, of course. All right. So when we think of Puritans, and we've talked about this like ad nauseum, but when we think of Puritans, we tend to imagine them as like teetotalers, mm-hmm. which I mean... That makes sense, right? They're very religious yeah. people. Um, but honestly, that could not be farther from the truth. <laughs> I like I don't know. I think I'm gonna become a Puritan. Um but they <laughs> they were coming from England where sanitation was not amazing. So well, it was very much ingrained in them to not trust the cleanliness of water. Well, in the Americas, the water was fairly clean because there were not people everywhere or clean enough. Um, they were coming from a place with dirty water where people really didn't drink the water. And then also they were building these little, these little towns and villages where they did not really take sanitation into account. That wasn't one of their strong suits. So <laughs> they, they weren't exactly, you know, up against a very like nice clean river. They weren't thinking of that like they should have. So they weren't big water drinkers, but what they were was big alcohol drinkers. Um, oh. In fact, yes. When they came over to the United States, there was one ship of Puritans in particular that brought over 10,000 gallons of beer, 120 casts of malt to make liquor, um, 12 gallons of gin, and thousands of bags of seeds to grow wheat and barley for brewing. Um, one of the very first uh, like commercial buildings built in the United States was a brewery. Um, while they were not so down with drunkenness, they saw drunkenness itself as a sin. They were super down with walking around generally buzzed all the time. <laughs> because <laughs> they just drank different like basically different proofs of alcohol throughout their day, depending on what time of the day it was. And uh, later on, of course, we became very upset about alcohol, you know, later in American history and we became very bothered by it. But the early people in the Americas, they drank a ton of alcohol and they smoked a lot of weed. Like the declaration of independence was written on hemp. Okay. Not to sound like that guy, but (laughs) There, like, there was a lot of American presidents who smoked weed. It was a thing. You know, if you have a tobacco farm, you're also growing hemp, you're growing weed. So they, like, back in the, these times, they didn't really have the same kind of hangups about substances and stuff. And, and alcohol, drinking alcohol was very normal. It wasn't a party thing. It was like, just you need to drink something. So you're going to drink this kind of watered down beer, <laughs> Miller Lite. So... <laughs> But yeah, that is uh what's that? I said zing. The tea in this house. Um, but I don't care about Miller Lite, by the way. Sorry, Dad, if you're listening. My dad's <laughs> my dad drink my, my dad's a Miller High Life guy. I'm not trying to we'll we'll say butt ice. How about that? Butt ice. That's a breakfast beer because it's water. 
Um, but <laughs> yeah, for safety purposes, Puritans primarily drank alcohol. That is just wild. Because you but just don't, makes, yeah, you don't think about it. Like, yeah, you would think, you don't think like a religious group mm-hmm. would. Yeah, I, I definitely, I was very surprised by a lot of things revolving around Puritans. But I think one of them is I, I totally thought that they were teetotalers. I thought that they did not drink alcohol. Where did that come from? I don't know why I, th- I felt that way. I felt that way very strongly. So Where did it come from? Where did it go? <laughs> Where did it come from, Cotton Eye Joe? <laughs> oh my gosh. But that was, this was a good one. This was a good Thanksgiving episode. This uh, comes out on Thanksgiving for me, but it comes out the day before Thanksgiving for everyone else. Yeah. So you can put your headphones in and listen to it when your racist uncle starts preaching mm-hmm. about how the election was rigged and yeah. Trump is God. Mm-hmm. You can uh, just listen to that. You can mute your family Zoom call if you're the the person who rightfully said they're not going to Thanksgiving. Um mm-hmm then you can mute your family Zoom call and listen to us instead. And you can just nod your head every once in a while. And that way you don't have to listen to anything that anybody has to say. Um, But thank you so much for listening. Um, This was a really good episode and I really enjoyed it. And I would like to say before we get to Citation Street um, that we uh, appreciate every single one of you listening. We just recently reached a milestone of listens um, that was personally relevant to me. Um, but I appreciate every single one of you that listened because I know for a fact I did not listen that many times. So it couldn't have just been me listening to my own podcast. <laughs> but uh, we appreciate all of you listening and sharing and liking stuff on Instagram and sending us things that you know you feel that we would enjoy. That interaction really means a lot, especially, um, I'm going to say it, in these unprecedented times. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Drink, mom. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, does your mom drink every time you say it? Yeah, we made a uh, drinking game, but we did it as with water because you, you would, would just, just die be, with how much you people say it. Just walking around buzz. Um, anytime people say uncharted waters, uh-huh. unprecedented times. I feel like it's such a yeah, like those... it's such a meaningless phrase because it's like everything and nothing is an unprecedented time you know like everything is moving forward and changing constantly but at the same time this is a time where um i know in my personal life i don't really get to see people and interact with people as much as i would like to i'm a very social person and uh and it means a lot that i get to tell jen stuff and she gets to tell me stuff and then the people listen and they tell us that they liked it like that's really cool that you know that we get to share our love of learning Sharing the Thanksgiving thankfulness. Yes. Um, uh, we... And I'm just going to get on my soapbox real oh, quick. Yeah, please do. I love it when you do it. <laughs> um, with Thanksgiving, please avoid going to the stores and mobbing them for Black Friday. I believe most stores are just doing online sales to avoid that. Mm-hmm. Maybe consider going on a hike outside in nature. Yes. That but would be just very please. Nice. Don't go mob the store and put your life at risk. And especially those poor employees who have to work mm. that Friday and put them at risk. Yeah. That's a, that, that's a really good point. And I think that that's something that kind of misses people a lot of the time is like people like, like, yes, you're home, your kids are home, whatever, but there's people who have to go to work every day and they have to, 
you know, like, like, I think I saw a tweet not that long ago. I know I sent it to you where it was like, like the quarantine only happened for rich people because poor people still had to be their Uber drivers and their, you know, the gas station attendant and the yeah. person who works at Del Taco, like the, all of these, these things, like there's still people doing these jobs and those people still have to go to work every day. Cause we don't have like the, the safeguards, the financial safeguards to say like, okay, we're just going to take time off to make sure we're healthy. It just doesn't work that way. Like, please be kind to each other and do it from a distance. I know that a lot yep. of like Thanksgiving and the holidays are a time when people want to be physically close to each other. And a lot of people are complaining right now about like, oh, well, this totalitarian state, yada, yada, yada. Look, diseases and illnesses do not care about your politics. And they will nope. kill you and your family and blah, 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 blah. Just just do the thing, dude. Just do the thing. Stay home. Do the thing. It's This is the worst and most repressed and yeah attacked you will ever feel in your life. You should be so lucky. Yeah, this is a... Moving yeah. on. Moving on to a positive note with the holidays, because I'm like, we could sit here for another 20 minutes and just rant about it. And we've talked about it so many times before, (laughs) too. But that is a good point. That's a very good point. Like, please uh, be respectful of each other. Be respectful primarily of each other's health. Um, Everybody's not as lucky as you. Don't go to Black Friday. Online deals are dope. Usually they're better, yeah. honestly. I've been doing yeah. so much yeah. easier. You can stay in your pajamas. Yes, I've been doing Cyber Monday forever because I have anxiety. So I can't go <laughs> to uh I can't go to Black Friday. It like makes me feel tingly and gross. So um so I always do Cyber Monday. Cyber Monday is great. Yes, yeah. shop better. small too. Of the only... soapbox. Yes. Small oh yeah. Can. Shop small Etsy, for sure. Great place. Mm-hmm. I actually just yesterday bought some gifts for people on Etsy, but um, I just added a bunch of stuff to my Christmas list section on Etsy. I really need to send my gifts out because I know if they're going to make it from this garbage (laughs) place, I'm going to have to send them like tomorrow. Um, But yes. And like, have a great Thanksgiving, have an amazing Thanksgiving and talk to your family and eat, eat every single thing. Yes. I, we're, the way we're doing it is we're making turkey sandwiches and we're going for a hike because um, I don't, it, it's silly to make an entire Thanksgiving meal. We also had a Friendsgiving not that long ago with people who live in our building, but, um, but it's silly to make a whole Thanksgiving meal for a family that's mostly small children. <laughs> so, yeah. so we're just going to make turkey sammies and maybe I'll get some cranberry sauce and put it on the sammy too. And um, make some mashed potatoes and we're going to go for like a long, a nice long hike out in town and, and, you know, be away from people, which is, it's going to be really fun, but yeah, eat everything you want. And you know what? The cool thing about Thanksgiving dinner when no one else is around is you can eat anything you want. You can just overeat sure, whatever. So if those of you who are going to be exclusively eating chips for Thanksgiving, please send us <laughs> hashtag chip chats. Yes. We want to know what kind you're eating. Thanksgiving chips oh that's a you good need to tell us yes if there are thanksgiving themed chips please we need to know this but uh but yeah that's that's just our our soap box and our soap bag and our soap everything else we are excited that starting next week we will have some fun festive holiday mm-hmm. um yeah we're gonna topics get in, we're gonna get into the, Christ- December, the christmas so. christmas hana kwanzaa that's what we're getting into uh starting next week so we'll be getting into all of it um, but do you want to go down Salutation Street? 
<laughs> yeah, we probably should. They're probably tired of hearing At us. some point, we're going to have to end the podcast. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Etymology, once again, online etymology dictionary, Pilgrim. Mm -hmm. Stephen Hopkins story I got from the New England Historical Society, an article titled Stephen Hopkins, Jamestown Settler, Mayflower Pilgrim, and Shakespeare character, question mark? Question mark? <laughs> Coles Hill information was from the National Park Service page on Coles Hill, Massachusetts. Samuel Moore, that was on Wikipedia. Garbage man. Ugh. And the Spooner House, I got from the website. Cabinet, the article, the Spooner House, Plymouth, Massachusetts, a haunting in America's hometown. And Wikipedia on good old Bathsheba Spooner. Okay, that was great. I pushed my glasses all the way down my nose. Um, it's not helping. You look like a light. <laughs> like this? Okay, this is yeah. not a visual medium. Okay, um, so <laughs> when talking about Puritan names, I got that from New England Historical Society in a BuzzFeed Puritan name generator. <laughs> oh, we both went with the New England Historical Society. It's almost like this took oh, place in New England. <laughs> Shout out New England. Shout out New England. It causeth <laughs> laughter. Um, and uh, for bundling, I got that from our good our good old best friend in the whole wide world, Ranker. Um, yes. For the Scarlet Letter, um, I got my info from the New England Folklore blog on Blogspot. Oh, Hannah Dustin's story. I got that from Smithsonian Magazine. A very good, very long article about her story. Um it's super sad and very gruesome. So if you're into things that are sad and gruesome, please go to Smithsonian Mag and check out Hannah Dustin. Um, and about the alcohol in the early Americas, that's from Digital History. All right. Yeah. So Well, next week we will be doing Warm and Cozy. So get Warm and Cozy I'm for that. I'm very excited. Um, also, I have not said this yet, as I usually do it 20 times a podcast. I'm going to say it now one time. Um, if you want to contact us for any reason um, other than to bail you out of jail, um, you can find us at weirdflexpodcast at gmail.com or weirdflexpodcast on the Instagrams. We want to see every meme. We want to see it all. If you think, I don't know, the answer is yes. We want to see it. Tell us your ghost stories. Um, we like to read them and we like to discuss them and we like to feel spooky even in the holiday yeah. season. Um, and also, don't forget to send us your Thanksgiving-themed chips at uh, hashtag chip chats. So yeah. um, thank you yes. so much for yeah. listening this time. We had a great time. And please have a happy and safe Thanksgiving. Yes, happy Thanksgiving. Gobble, gobble. <laughs> gobble, gobble. <laughs> <laughs> bye, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs>